You know, um, this is the last service. We've had five services at this campus, and I must say, we've saved the best for last, right? Because you are some fine-looking folks. I saw you coming in, and I was like, man, they dressed up for Christmas. So good to see you. Tell somebody next to you, you look good. You look good. It might be late. Santa's coming, and you look good. When he comes to your house, he's going to see somebody that looks good. You know, I love Christmas time in many ways. How many of you guys like Christmas? You like it a little bit? Um, No parents raised their hands right there. But, you know, there are certain parts of Christmas, at least, that I like. I like Christmas music. Um, I like it for about four weeks. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like every year Christmas music gets a little bit earlier. Now it's like starting after Labor Day. So um, I like it, but not that much. And then I like the opportunity to be able to give away gifts you know, we love to give gift to our kid, give gifts to our kids, or I love to give gifts to my wife Stacy. That's a that's a fun part of Christmas for me. I like to be around friends and family. I like it as a holiday as a whole. Most importantly, I like the fact that I get to celebrate the love of God for humanity and the fact that Jesus came from heaven to earth. And there's so much that's great about Christmas, but there's also some aspects of Christmas that are difficult, that are hard for me, that I don't like quite as much. First of all, I'd like to say I'm not very thrilled with this reality of trying to find the perfect Christmas present. You know, like there's always that person in every everybody's life that if you buy them, no matter what you buy them in terms of a present, it is not going to be the right present and they're not going to be happy with it. And then there's also on top of that, there's somebody in our family that has everything that you could buy for them. So there's this pressure to buy the perfect present And then there are people that you keep buying presents for and they never buy you presents. And so you're like, do I buy them a present or do I not? So there's the the pressure from presents, but then now there's pressure for parties, right? Like you get dressed up or you host the party. So you got to have the perfect party, the perfect present. And over the last couple of years, this has even gotten worse for me because we have staff parties and there's a lot of pressure with our staff parties. Stacy, my wife, a couple of years ago had this fantastic idea that all the pastors would make a fool of ourselves on Christmas and dance. So we started dancing at our Christmas party, and it just keeps getting better and bigger every year. And I'd like for you to see what I have to keep up with. This is our campus pastor from Sunnyvale, Felipe Santos. Let's watch him as he dances. the pressure I have to deal with, trying to keep up with that. So there's the pressure of presents, there's the pressure of parties, now there's the pressure of pictures, because you have to have the perfect Christmas picture, and we all know that that moment leading up to that picture, it might look great on the outside, but then when you look at what happened to get to that point, like maybe you got my Christmas card, and it looked great to you. If it didn't look great, don't tell me, but maybe it looked great to you. And uh, I know, though, when everything that happened up until that moment that there were kids getting in fights right before that picture. One of our kids had snot on his nose, but you can't see it in the picture. And then one of our kids actually was screaming, but we kind of photoshopped it a little bit. looks like she's smiling. So I know the behind the scenes. And in life, especially during the holiday seasons, we can have this pressure for perfection, but there's all this reality of imperfection behind the scenes. And never is there a time in the year, perhaps, that we're more aware of our imperfections of our losses, of our struggles, of the dreams that didn't come to pass, 
of the people in our lives that went from this life to the next in the last 12 months. And Christmas time can really feel like a torn, we can feel torn during the Christmas holiday. And I want to talk to you today about that tension because it's so ironic when you think about the pressure for perfection, how different it is from the first Christmas, from that moment when God would come down and enter into our reality. Because if you look at the Christmas story from what happened in the true historical event when Jesus would enter into planet Earth, it's so different from what we celebrate today. In fact, if I were God, I would not pick the scenario that God picked. First of all, the one that God chooses to bear his son, the one who's going to carry him around, is a poor peasant teenage girl. She's not yet married when the angel shows up to say, hey, you're having the son of God. So for nine months in their culture, a total atrocity it would have been for her to be pregnant and not be married. She would have been judged and criticized by everybody. And right at the moment when she's about to give birth to the Son of God, something happens where the government orders a census and Mary has to travel across Israel to go to Bethlehem to give birth. Guys, this is like giving birth in Los Banos. Like, if you're going to choose God to come to planet Earth, why choose Los Banos? But Bethlehem is the place. And when they get to Bethlehem, lo and behold, there's no space for them. There's no house. There's no hospital. There's, there's no room for them. So they go to this inn. They knock on the door, and the innkeeper says, hey, we got a place for you. Unfortunately, the place that we have for you is not a room. It's actually the place where all the animals feed. So you got some cows. You're going to have some sheep watching in on you, taking selfies. You're going to have, like, this is, this, this is what you have, Mary. In fact, this is so different than the way so many of us are at our births. And uh, I remember back when Stacy and I gave birth, or I should say Stacy gave birth, um, all that we went through to get prepared for that moment. We had a suitcase waiting by the door. We, we actually went to the place where she was going to give birth multiple times. I know we were like overly concerned parents, but like we did the dust test. We, we inspected everything for that moment. But when the Son of God comes from heaven to earth, like there's no place for him to, to come. There's no room for him in the inn. And then on top of that, there's something else that happens, which is really weird. Like, ladies, those of you who have given birth, when you give birth, who do you want in the room? Nobody. Maybe mom, if she doesn't freak out. Like, nobody in the room. But when Mary gives birth, right afterwards, after the animals have like, been making their noises, right afterwards, in rushes a group of shepherds. Now, imagine this scene just for a second. Like, imagine if you give birth and like 30 mechanics just sprint into the room right there to celebrate with you. It's just not a very momentous occasion. It's not what you would craft if you were writing the story. See, if I were God, I would choose it so differently than this. I would choose a palace. I would make it pomp and circumstance. I'd have the news there. I would have it like totally dialed in. But it almost seems as if God got into a strategic planning meeting with the angels and everything went wrong. That there's this entire mess that is unfolding. But when we look at the behind the scenes from the heart of God, what we see is that every detail of the Christmas story was intentionally crafted and planned by God. There was not one aspect of this that was an accident. Yet for many of us, when we look at the story, it seems like a mess. It seems like things have gone wrong. And what we can fail to recognize is that there is a massive miracle right in the middle of the mess. 
See, the way that God tends to work is so different than the way that we work. Have you ever noticed how like, we tend to run from messes? If you don't believe me, parents, when there are two parents in the room and one, par- one child has a dirty diaper, what happens? You know that hesitation, right? You smell it and you kind of hope it was not really actually that they did it, but you're like, okay, well, maybe that'll pass. And then a few minutes later, you're waiting for the other spouse to go take care of it, right? And so conveniently, always at that time, somebody either calls me or I'm reminded of a message I haven't responded to. And internally, I fight the, the, this desire to run away from the mess, to get as far away from it as possible. See, we have a tendency to run away from mess. Not only do we run away from those kind of messes, but we run away from relational messes, financial messes. We struggle in our marriages and people leave. They give up. So many students that go to college for a couple semesters and it's harder than you thought it would be. So we throw in the towel or friendship gets difficult and we, we abandon and we say, we're done with this. Or maybe our job gets overwhelming and we update our LinkedIn profile and start looking for a new place to work. It's amazing how we have a tendency to run away from mess. But how many of you are glad to know that God doesn't run from mess, but God actually runs to it? See, that's the Christmas story. The Christmas story is that God came to the mess. He came to the brokenness to the hurt, to the pain, to the sorrow, to the grief, to the lowest places among us to clearly communicate what he was trying to accomplish when he would come from heaven to earth. See, we make messes. We make messes oftentimes that are bigger than what we can clean up, that in our human power, we don't have the strength to fix it. Kind of reminds me of a time when I was like 11 years old. My dad took me to the gas station, and when we got there, my dad sent me to the back to go get some milk. And I got the milk. It was one of those big glass doors. And so I pulled it open. I reached down, got the milk out. And I'm walking back to the cash register with the milk. Well, I'm kind of mindlessly pulling the milk like this. It was cold. It was wet. It was probably a winter evening. You know, everybody's hands are a little bit weaker when it's cold. So it just, I don't know, I'm looking for excuses. But it hits my leg as I'm walking. And when it does, it shoots out of my hand like an Olympic diver. And in slow motion, I just watch this milk carton as it goes through the air. It starts doing three sixties. It's turning, twisting, does a double, comes down, crashes against the floor. It splits open at the worst spot possible. The milk, it's like it's a dam has been loosed. It just goes all over the aisle, all over the glass, all over cereal on the, on the aisle. I mean, it's just everywhere. There's this entire mess. And I look up and there's my dad, his look of disgust right at me. And then it seems like miraculously, somebody walks around the corner with a mop and just starts cleaning up the mess that I've made. Now, some of you are thinking this is the end of the story. Well, we still needed the milk. So my dad said, well, let's get another gallon of milk. So he gets the gallon of milk this time. He takes it up to the cash register. He puts it down. And this was back in the day when people weren't as environmentally friendly. And they had those plastic bags. You remember those plastic bags? So he puts the milk inside one of those plastic bags, and my dad, I don't know what he was thinking at this point, but he says, you grab the milk, Andy. So I grab the milk off the counter mindlessly, and I pull it. When I pull it, it just kind of like on a fulcrum, just spins from my hand, comes up into the air like a rocket, shoots out of that cheap plastic bag, goes forward, up in the air, down on the ground, everywhere. It was like all eyes on me. The business owner who's good friends with my dad, 
My dad's right here. There's customers all over. The guy that's just cleaned up my mess is like just putting his mop away, walks around the corner, and it's like, here's the loser. And I wish I could say that was the last mess I've made. I've made a lot of messes in my life. Um, in fact, today, um, I was actually going Christmas shopping at Walgreens. Um, they have great stuff there, just in case you didn't know. And um, I, was, I was grabbing, I was getting a calendar. Um, and when I pulled it out, there were all these suckers. There was like 60 suckers all in one spot. And I knocked them and they went everywhere. And they broke on the floor and I just started laughing out loud because I knew I'd tell you this story tonight. But um, we make messes, and some of us make more than others, right? And our tendency when we make a mess is to try to clean it up in our own power. And some of us, when we look at our lives right now, we feel like it's a big mess. When we look back over the last 12 months of our lives, we see that we've made some messes with our choices, with our attitudes, with our relationships. But what I want to say to you today is that what we see as a mess, God sees as an opportunity. See, the messes that have been made in your life, God sees as an opportunity to intervene on your behalf to show his grace. And there is always an opportunity for a miracle in the midst of the mess. In fact, um, today, right before this last service, I sprinted over to our Sunnyvale campus, and they just got into their building today. And I want to show you a picture of what this building looked like like a week ago. Look at this picture right here. This is a mess, right? At least it looks like a mess. But just two hours ago, watch this. This is what it looks like now. They finished the building. Paint is drying on the wall, actually. And there were close to 300 people in that room the, the two hours ago. See, it was a total miracle that God performed, but if you just look at it from the outside and you only see a mess, you move away from the mess until you realize that God has a tendency to move towards mess and can produce tremendous miracles in the midst of your mess. What's the mess that you have right now that you find yourself sitting in and you just continue to try to clean it up over and over again? Maybe you got it cleaned up, but you're back in it again. And you're working and you're striving to try to get it cleaned up. See, the message of Christmas is that there was such a mess with humanity and our brokenness that we could not clean it up on our own. And God had to come down to fix the problem. He had to come and live among us to show us the way for the mess to be cleaned. Earlier this summer, I was with my boys one day. and We went to a park and they had decided they wanted to start BMXing. And um, apparently, BMXing can be a pretty dangerous sport. I didn't know at that point. I'm like, well, how dangerous can a bike be, right? So we go to this park, and there are these hills. There's some small ones. There's some medium-sized ones, some really big ones. And I have my daughter, Karis, who's three. So the boys are eight and t 10 and 8, and my daughter is three. And she wanted to play at the playground. And the boys wanted to play at the BMX park. So I'm not going to let her play at the playground by herself. I'll let the boys ride their bikes by themselves. So I go, and I walk around at the BMX park and I'm surveying the land and kind of checking out the hills. And I'm like, okay, these are good. These are kind of, these are big. These might be a little bit of trouble. And then there was this one that was really big and it had this huge pit down at the bottom, like a 20 foot drop. And I left and I said something to the boys that was just stupid. I said, use your discretion, <laughs> which is not something you say to an eight and 10 year old. So I'm like, well, you know, how bad can they get hurt, right? They could skin a knee, skin an elbow. 
So I go back over to the playground with Karis, my daughter, and about 30 minutes later, Sammy, my middle son, comes over and said, Cademan is hurt really bad. We need you over here, which in our family could mean that he stubbed a toe. So I'm, I'm like not that worried as I'm going over there. But as soon as I get to him, he's at the bottom of that pit, that 20-foot hole. And immediately, as soon as I saw him, I knew that he was hurt really bad because he was whimpering. He was almost despondent. I could tell that he had probably broken a limb. And I, I got into a full-on sprint and went to the bottom of the pit. I got down low. And the last thing through my mind at that moment was let me scold him. Let me figure out a consequence for his choices. What were you thinking? Why did you do this? How did you get yourself in this situation? The thing that was going through my mind at that moment was how do I get to my son? How do I get down on his level and scoop him up so I can bring him out to safety? See, that's what a good father does. And that's the message of Christmas. That's the message of Jesus. Is that we find ourselves in a pit because of our choices, because of our brokenness, because of our selfishness, our pride, our arrogance, our jealousy. Over and over and over and over and over again, what we do as human beings, as much as there is beauty within us, we have a tendency to make messes. And God says, I love you enough to come to the mess, to the place that you're at right now, to get down on your level so that you can know my love so that you can know my kindness and my mercy as a good father towards you. And today God is saying to you, the reason I came down was ultimately so that I could bring everything up with me. And the reason I had to go to the lowest places was so that I could get to the depth of brokenness in humanity and in your heart. So God would come down in order to bring us up, to bring us to that place of life so that we could experience his love, so that we could know him, so that we could have relationship and be connected to his heart. That's the message of Jesus. And today, I wonder if you've ever connected with God's heart personally. See, I know Christmas time is kind of funny because there's a lot of folks that come to church and maybe you've not been to church before in your life or this is like your first time to church in a year and all these songs are like new to you. And I totally get it. I'm I'm so glad that you're here, but it would be like malpractice on my part to have you here and not give you this invitation to relationship with God, because I believe with all my heart that there is no news that you and I will ever receive that is greater news than the fact that the God of the universe loves you so much to come from heaven to earth so that you could personally know him. And there's a part of you in your heart that nothing in this world will fulfill. You can try every day for the rest of your life with your job, with your career, with your hard work, with your performance, and it will never fill that place because you were designed by God to know him personally, to experience his mercy and his grace and his love for you. And he's created you to be his child as a perfect loving father for you to know him. And today what he wants to do is he wants to give you a gift. And that gift is the gift of himself. And he cared so much about getting that gift to you that he came across the heavens to deliver it. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 in the Bible 
there's this powerful verse that says the wages of our sin, which means the consequences of our choices is death. That means that you and I, because of our brokenness, we should be separated from a holy and righteous God for all of eternity. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, tomorrow when my kids go to open up all their presents, how funny would it be if like one of my boys, when I gave them a car, pulled out a wallet and said, hey dad, here's five bucks for that card that you just gave me. See, a, a gift is not something that you earn. A gift is something that you receive. And the only way to have salvation and relationship with God in our lives, it's not by earning it. It's not by striving. It's not by working. I know that some of you are thinking to yourself, man, if you just knew me, if you knew my past, if you knew my brokenness, if you knew what I had done, God knows. And he came because of it. He came because all of us, compared to him and his perfection, we could strive, we could work, we can give it all that we have for the rest of our lives. And we'll, we'll never be perfect compared to God. So he had to take our place. He had to come, had to come so that he could bring us up. And there are these three iconic images that so beautifully display the message of Jesus and the message of Christianity. The first of them is the manger. The second of them is the image of the cross. And when you look at the manger and the cross, the place where Jesus would come and the place where Jesus would die, where he would place his arms out and he would be stretched with nails in his hands and nails in his feet, with a crown of thorns in his head, with Roman soldiers mocking and spitting on him. Both of these images look like a mess. It looks like God, he had some really bad planning. But it's only until you see the third image that the first two images truly begin to make sense. That it's in light of an empty tomb that God would come to conquer the grave, that the same Jesus who would be placed into a grave would come forth victoriously and triumph over the grave, kicking death in the teeth and proving the fact that he's God. That's when the manger and the cross make sense. It's when you see the two of them in light of an empty tomb. And that Jesus today is saying, will you receive the gift of life that I want to give to you? John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but to all who receive him, to those who believe in him, he gives right to become children of God. Not born on your decision or your hard work, but children of God who place their trust in him. So today, God is inviting you to receive that gift of salvation into your heart. I wonder if you will receive it. I want to invite you as we wrap up our time together, just close your eyes for a moment and just to meditate on the words that we've talked about. If you're here today and this whole thing is new to you and you've never truly opened up your heart to God, or maybe you've been considering it for a while, that stirring inside of you is, is God knocking on the door of your heart and he's trying to communicate his love to you. He's trying to get your eyes open to see that mercy, to see that kindness. And today can be the day of your salvation. It can be the day that you open up your heart to God for the very first time. So I want to invite you right now to receive the greatest gift that you will ever receive, the gift of salvation and relationship with God. If that's you, would you just say in the quietness of your heart, God, I believe that you came from heaven to earth. And Jesus, I believe that you died upon the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the dead. Just tell him from the bottom of your heart. 
please forgive me for my past. I want to surrender my life to you in this moment. I give you all that I am, all my brokenness, all my past, all my regret, all my sorrow, all my shame, I surrender it to you. And I invite you into my life. Today, if you prayed that prayer, if you put your trust in Jesus, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to just put your hand up with nobody looking around, nobody turning eyes. I just like to know that today you decided to follow Jesus to put your trust in him. So when I count to three, I'm just going to invite you across the room today. If you prayed that prayer to put your trust in Jesus with your life for the first time, would you just slip it up high? One, two, three. Just put your hands up high all throughout the room. Those of you who are trusting in God for forgiveness, for relationship, dozens of hands. I see you over here on the right and left. Anybody else today saying, God, I want to surrender my life to you. Jesus, we thank you today for people at all of our campuses whose lives are being transformed and the gift of salvation. Father, we acknowledge that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so today, we thank you for sending your son. And Jesus, we honor you in this church. We honor you as the king who has come to bring life, Emmanuel, God with us. We give you glory in this place, and we receive your gift into our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we put our hands together for those who trusted in Jesus today and the mercy of God for our lives? Will you stand with me as we sing this song of Emmanuel, God with us has come to be among us.